Hi everybody, I'm your hot with Scott Kellner and you are tuned in to Digital Mentorship. Digital Mentorship is a podcast designed to educate college juniors, seniors, and current professionals about career possibilities. If you can think about what you wanted to do when you were declaring a major or getting ready to graduate, is that anything close to what you ended up doing? Do you think somebody else getting ready to graduate has any idea that a job or career or your business even exists? The goal of this podcast is to help narrow the gap between what individuals think their career must be and what it could be. Disclaimer time. Scott Kellner works in the private wealth management industry, and it's possible investments or securities are talked about in this podcast. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered investment advice. Was the summer of fall. Welcome to Digital Mentorship. I'm your host, your hot with Scott Kellner. My guest today is Weston Lackey. Weston graduated from Westminster College in Salt Lake City, Utah, where he studied finance, and he's currently a financial analyst at Daybreak Communities. Properties. Which one? Daybreak Communities. You had it right. Daybreak Communities. And uh, uh, Weston, thank you for coming on the show. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. I'm I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I... uh, really like what you got going on with the show. So I'm excited to chat with you. Well, I'm, I appreciate you doing that. Weston, actually, he and I connected because he reached out to me after watching the first episode of the show. Uh, he was a friend of Harris and I or mentored Harris and I a little bit. He had a lot of really nice comments to say, and I was super appreciative and flattered. And I asked him to come on the show and here we are. And here we yeah. both are now. So, um, you know, one of the, you know, to start off the show, I always like to play this game. Uh, which is called Two Truths and a Lie. And you told me that you learned to ice skate when you were three, um, which is pretty young to learn how to ice skate. You have two St. Bernards, which I don't see them running around behind you right now. Um, So I don't know uh, about that. And that you were kidnapped in Vietnam, which seems very random compared to the first two. So I feel like you're baiting me a little bit with that. I feel like you're baiting me with the being kidnapped in Vietnam. Uh, you're from Michigan. And so, I mean, I imagine hockey, I, I'm pretty sure hockey is a pretty big sport in Michigan. So I imagine that, so I'm going to go with you. You don't have two St. Bernards. I, I don't you, have two St. Bernards. Okay. So this is great. Cause this is going to be an interesting story. I think hopefully not a traumatizing one though. What, what is the deal with you getting kidnapped in Vietnam? So, yeah, I'll tell, there's definitely a long version, but I'll tell the short one, which is, uh, so when I graduated, I went to Vietnam with a couple friends for, for a few weeks post-graduation before we started our full-time gigs. Um, and middle of the night, we were leaving uh, some bar in Vietnam, and they've kind of got this, it's, it's sort of something I should have known about, but I wasn't aware of. I took a ride home from somebody on a moped. And they offer you a ride home. Hey, can I drive you back to your hotel? My friends have got back to the hotel already. And I was the last one, you know, there. And I was like, yeah, awesome. That'd be great. Next thing you know, I've been on this, this moped for quite a while. Where are we going? You know, uh, where are we going? Well, next thing you know, he's like, get off the moped. Um, give me some money, basically. And, you know, really drove me out to the middle of nowhere and it was like give me money i had no clue where i was um so yeah i mean it was pretty terrifying at the time you know you don't really know where you're at and 
just trying to get back to the hotel. And uh, it was crazy. Obviously, everything turned out fine. I think I had to give them the equivalent of like five bucks to go away. And, oh. and it ended all it ended all good. But yeah, I truly did get get kidnapped yeah. for a period of time there in Vietnam. So oh my gosh. Great. <laughs> that's crazy dude well that's i'm glad that you um lived to tell about it and i assume you obviously made it back to the hotel in one piece that evening i did i was pretty shaken up actually oh, um you know I, I didn't like willingly just give him money right away because i didn't know what the heck was going on but eventually when i figured out that's what he wanted there's a bit of a language barrier there yeah and when i figured that out i was just like i, I just went home so yeah. it was fine but, yeah <laughs> Uh, well, that's, that's great. Well, you know, thank you again so much for coming on the show. And, um, you know, so let's talk a little bit about how you ended up at Westminster. So you're from, you're from Michigan and yep. you told me that you were interested in coming out West and you were originally, you toured the, you were going to toward the university of Utah and somebody told you to check out Westminster college and, yeah. then, you know, take it, take the story from there. What happened? Yeah, so I you know, I grew up in Michigan. Um, I grew up playing playing hockey. I always loved to snowboard, but um, I had I was kind of limited in my ability to snowboard because I played competitive hockey growing up, same seasons, and they conflicted and everything. And so it was kind of always a dream to, to live out west at some point in my life. And where that was, I had no idea. I hadn't even taken a vacation west of Mississippi like ever. So. I did a tour, um, seeing some schools, um, and yeah, I, I was at the University of Utah doing a tour, um, got a tip to check out Westminster College, went there, and su surprisingly enough, I mean, I just really loved it. I liked the size, I liked the idea of being in, in small classes, I liked the feel of the campus. Um, got a fairly, you know, they had, they had some fairly, fairly good scholarships available. Um, and so that's where I ended up. It was, it was definitely not planned. You know, I didn't know a ton about Westminster being from Grand Rapids, Michigan, but, uh, I just kind of found myself there through that path. So, and so, and then when you got to Westminster, you decided, did you know, um, I think you, you mentioned it in kind of like the pre-show notes, but you didn't necessarily know what you wanted to do when you first went to school. No, I don't know if you did when you went to college, but when I went to college, I knew it was like the right thing to be doing. Yeah. You know, it's go to finish high school, go to school. I, I'm not sure what I want to do next, um, but I know college is the right step. Getting a degree yeah. is going to be the right step, but I had no idea where I wanted to go. Um, with that, so I started at Westminster. I started, you know, kind of taking all the base classes you've got to take. Um, I explored going into psych for a while. I really liked to write, and so I explored kind of doing something in English or journalism. Um, and that was kind of the first year. My freshman year was just try everything out, see what you like, and then later my freshman year I was sort of starting to think about okay what kind of job do you get with this and what does it take to get there with psych it was like you probably need to do some more school to get a good job after a four-year degree yeah. I wasn't fully prepared to do that I was kind of four years sounds like enough college yeah. for now you're either because you're either going to practice or you're going to teach right and or or I mean I'm sure there's actually probably more careers or more things you can do with a psychology degree but on like a very base kind of like ignorant level 
Exactly. The understanding I had at the time, I thought my options would be limited with a four-year degree in, 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 in psych. And I thought business was broad enough that, you know, I could kind of go in any direction. Not to mention, I couldn't go back to school and still pursue psych down the road if I wanted or pursue some kind of journalism down the road if I wanted. But just at a high level, it seemed like, you know, a business degree would be a good place to go. After four years, you can probably get a good job and start start on a good career. So so that's kind of that's kind of how I how I chose business. I didn't choose finance until probably after sometime my sophomore year when you start taking all of your entry-level business classes, you know, your intro to marketing, intro to accounting, intro to finance, all those. I found finance most interesting and it came easiest to me. Um, I was very math heavy. I was pretty comfortable in math and it seemed like the natural course of action, but I chose it fairly blindly, not knowing at all what uh, that could mean in terms of careers. I knew, you know, investment banking and you could go work at a big bank and then I kind of I kind of knew the accounting side of things, but I wasn't even exactly sure where it could take me. But um, yeah, I ended up choosing finance and I'm glad I did. So, and who is your, who, do you remember who your intro to finance professor was? It was Rich Collins. Rich Collins. Uh, I love Rich Collins, dude. He was my, he was my advisor, actually. He was my academic advisor and he was my uh microeconomics professor i think it was like intro to microeconomics yeah. maybe just called microeconomics and um, yeah he was i i mean so i briefly um kind of similar to you i just went to college because i thought it was the right thing to do i knew yep. you know it was my parents wanted me to do it i knew it was the right thing to do i didn't necessarily know what i was going to study when i got there but i had a feeling it was going to be business both of my parents are business people um my father was an entrepreneur and my mother um, actually worked um, at Goldman Sachs in New York, and um, and but now she actually works in she actually works at worked at Westminster for a little while. That's part of the yeah. main, one of the main reasons why I ended up going there. And then um, she works for the University of Utah now in fundraising. She's a she's a de- development officer. And um, but I declared a major in economics because of Rich Collins, and then I took intro to finance with Lauren Larray and I declared a double major uh, because of Lauren. So, and cool. I know that's something, that's something that you're very passionate about or, um, and kind of you mentioned already is the small class sizes at Westminster and how professors can have an impact and influence you in that way because of the relationships that you can cultivate with them or make with them or have with them. And yeah. um, I mean, you've talked, we've talked about your relationship with Rick, Rick Haskell. I think he was a professor that showed um, who showed up after I had left. I graduated from Westminster with my bachelor's in 2013, and I finished my master's degree there in um, the spring of 2016. Um, but, you know, maybe just talk a little bit about how the, the faculty helped you um, kind of through this process of declaring a major maybe coming up with a job or maybe, you know, touch on the work that you did with Rick in the valuation challenge. And which yeah. I think is something super cool. You started this whole thing with Rick. Um, yep. So maybe just kind of talk a little bit about, about, about yeah. all of that stuff. This is a problem that I have with podcasting, dude, is I kind of like ask a question and then I ask yeah. another question. All of a sudden I've asked five questions and now you don't know which one to answer. So I'm just going to, well, I get it. There's a lot there. Um, <laughs> no, I get it. Um, so 
Yeah, I agree. And you got you and I have talked about that a little bit, just how for me and, and kind of the way I learned the small class sizes at Westminster really helped me feel engaged. They helped me feel accountable. And they also, yeah, they, they help you develop relationships with the professor. I mean, so my family from Michigan, a lot of people go to Michigan State and my family. Oh, Peter's friends go to Michigan State. Maybe I, I wasn't yeah. sure if you were Wolver, Wolverines or Spartans. I wasn't I'm sure. Spartan, I'm a Spartan. Uh, okay. Spartan right. fan, so, <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, uh, I, I could have gone down that path, and I'm sure I would have been fine. They're, I'm sure they're great schools, and, and everybody has their unique experience. But I am grateful I ended up going to Westminster just because. Yeah, I mean, I had some really, really good influence from some great professors and mentors, and they were always willing to um, offer their time. Um, you know, Vicki Whiting, uh, management professor, Lauren LeRae, Rob Patterson, Matt Krause, Fred Healy, and, and definitely Rick. Um, big, big influences on my, on my education. And, you know, I did try to do whatever I could to participate outside of just what was required in terms of classes. Rick always had a lot of different things going on. I started with some of the May term classes at Westminster. Um, Rich, or I'm sorry, Rick led a couple research projects during May term. So the valuation project and the power of multiples. I worked on both of those. And I worked on those before I had any fundamental understanding of finance at all. I just started working on them. It felt like a good thing to do. It felt like I was making the right connections, but I really didn't even fully understand how I was contributing at the time. In hindsight, they were really cool projects to work on and helped me kind of get my foundation in valuation expertise and just kind of understanding um, public equity markets and everything. So. Those, those were cool experiences. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, being this, that this is the digital mentorship podcast, I just really encourage students or whoever might be listening to this to, to try to do as much of that as possible. And when I say that, I mean, kind of extend yourself beyond what is expected of you in your basic curriculum and your credits to the extent you've got time. And, um, overextend yourself at first and pull back if you need to. That might be bad advice, but I, that's kind of what I did. I kind of got myself involved in so many things that I had to pull back a little bit, but ultimately ended up being fruitful things for me to be involved in. Um, you mentioned the, the valuation consultancy, which yeah. is a really cool project I worked on, worked on with Rick Haskell. Um, you know, he set up these, uh, small companies in the Salt Lake area that we could actually do company valuations with, you know, right. and it was a relatively formal process for, right. for, you know, just students. We went yeah. and sat on. Just uh, what were, why, why did these companies need to be valued? Like what were they, it wasn't necessarily, were they, were they going out to investors trying to raise capital? Were they, so, was it something, did they have, did they need to value like their privately held, um, Shit, like stock, like shares or something. Like maybe there were shares in this privately held company, and they, maybe there was going to be some sort of like liquidity event. So they needed right. like some, like a partner was getting bought out or like something like that. Um, like what, what was the point of these companies so, being valued? So typically, you hit the nail on the head. That's why you may need evaluation in a company. That I mean, there's a number of reasons you might need evaluation. 
Um, these companies particularly, I think were more interested than anything. Mm. Rick worked with uh, Goldman Sachs 10,000 small businesses and had access to some of these companies. Right. And I think he saw it as an opportunity for some students to get some practice. Right. These companies might get an idea of the valuation of their firm. I don't think they were really going to place much weight on the valuation that a bunch of students gave them. Right. But yeah, I mean, in reality, if you went to work for a valuation consultancy, you know, after college for, you know, and you went to work for a valuation firm, those are some of the things that a company might need a valuation for, for sure. For these specific companies, we were doing valuations. It was, it was practice on both ends. Right. Um, and it was probably pretty cool for some of the companies to understand, well, given the cash flow that we're generating and the growth that we're projecting, you know, here's what my company could be worth. So, right. So That's, that was kind of cool. I, um, um, I did a similar in our, my MBA project, we did a similar, um, or in my MBA program, we did a similar, uh, project for a small business, um, up in North Salt Lake. And gosh, I, I can't remember the name of the business specifically, but they had a cool business where it was, um, they basically made the molds for the angel Moroni's that they put on top of the churches on the, on, yeah. the, on top of the LDS temples, yeah, like yeah, angel yeah, Moroni, yeah. you know, and yep. that was like a big part of their business was, and they hired, they hired us, you know, a bunch of MBAs, uh, because we had been studying, it was in a business processes class with Chad, Chadwick Dorton was our professor. And it's usually taught by Elise Morton, but, um, and we read the book, the, the goal, which is all kind of, which is a, um, kind of, a um, an offshoot or, I mean, it's one of actually, the book has actually got some bad press lately because it's kind of like, um, you know, it's a little bit sexist in the way some things are kind of like tight, you know, these roles are kind of like typecast in this book. So, so, I mean, I'm not, um, you know, I'm not trying to be controversial or anything, but I loved the book. <laughs> I thought it was super great. And, uh, um, and it's, it's a, it's told in a parable. So they teach you these business management principles through like a parable. So like a story or yeah. a lesson. Um, yeah. and it's all about, um, you know, finding bottlenecks and improving processes and understanding like throughput, uh, you know, inventory times throughput times time, you know, is kind of like your production equation is that's kind of that was kind of like what the class was all about. And so this company hired, uh, hired us or not hired, but uh, allowed us to come in, look at their look at their processes, um, and try to come up with some recommendations for how they could improve things, how they can improve their inventory yeah. management, how they could maybe uh, cut down on cost or waste. Um, and I thought it was it was a cool experience to I think work with a uh, small business that's part of the local community. Um, and yeah, at the end of the day, I don't know how much they got out of it, uh, but I know we got a lot out of it. Right. Um, yeah. And and so I think it's it's great when um, you know professors or you know some place like Westminster or whatever provides students the opportunity to connect with businesses in kind of like a real world setting. Um, yeah. you know, outside of the classroom, I think can be some of the best, um, learning opportunities. And, yeah. I, I got a lot out of it in that same way. I think just working with, you know, real company, small business that's operating, uh, in, in the local community in Salt Lake. And it just kind of, it took things out of the textbook and took things into practice. And there's, there's a little bit more nuance there. 
everything's not as cookie cutter as it is in the textbook. Um, and I think, I, I think that was a really cool experience, but yeah, just, just going back to that overall at Westminster, um, because it is so small, you're allowed to just get so immersed in as much as you, you possibly want. And I'm sure other schools have those opportunities as well, but I'm, I'm definitely grateful for that. Um, and I, you know, I can't be grateful enough for, for working with Rick on a lot of these things. He, he, he put, um, lended so much of his own time for these extra, extra projects that ultimately just helped his students. And I've still got a great relationship with Rick. Um, helps me out with all sorts of things. You, so. you told me when you come into town, you guys go out to dinner together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We usually, we usually grab a meal when I'm in town, but pre-COVID I was traveling. Um, I'm in Michigan now, but yeah. pre-COVID I was traveling out to, to Salt Lake about uh, a week out of every month. So I haven't uh, been out there for work in almost a year now. Well, I, I guess that's a good segue into, you know, what are you, what are you doing now? You work for Daybreak Communities. Um, yep. What, what is Daybreak Communities? So Daybreak is, Daybreak Communities, we are a developer manager, real estate developer manager, and we develop master plan communities. The most notable one is Daybreak in, in South Jordan. So if you're familiar with Utah, you and I have talked about this a bit. Um, but, but Daybreak in South Jordan is one of the largest, the largest property that we manage and it's a master plan community, meaning it's basically started in 2003 as 4,000 acres of raw, unimproved land, no utilities, no roads, no homes, businesses, anything out there. And it's basically ground up development, um, across all real estate asset classes. So that's, that's uh, the company I work for. Now Daybreak has, has been around for a long time. Um, you know, there's, it's, it's pretty substantial presence in the valley. If you go out to Daybreak, it doesn't feel new at all. There's definitely a lot of new construction going on, but it's definitely a more mature community. Um, so my role, I'm a financial analyst. I, I work on daybreak itself, on some of the operation side of things, you know, pricing land um, for, for asset sales, um, managing our development costs and the financing of some of those development costs and future kind of land planning exercises of what's going to happen next in daybreak, where are we building what, yeah. when is it going to be built, what's needed, um, what's the market demanding, what are we missing here and trying to kind of fill all the segments. So I work um, closely with the actual operation side of the assets we manage, but I also, a, a big part of the work that I do, maybe more than half of it is actually on underwriting and acquisitions of new land and then sales of our existing, our existing land as well. So that's kind of the high level overview of, of Daybreak, but yeah. I think one of the super cool things that kind of like about your job is essentially um, I don't think a lot of people realize that you can study finance and then, I mean, Daybreak Communities is obviously a massive place, but like, I bet the company itself is probably not that big. Like it can't no. be more than like a hundred employees. Oh, way less, way yeah. less. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, by, by head count, I mean, Daybreak Communities is, is gigantic in terms of like, yeah. it's in, you know, the number of houses and the number of, but um, in terms of, in terms of head count and like a company itself, it's kind of small. And I don't think a lot of people realize that you can hold on a second. I'm going to shut my door. Um, yep.
should have done that before I started the show. That's all right. No worries. Um, um, uh, I don't think a lot of people realize that um, you can study finance and then go work in sort of like a corporate finance. I mean, I would call that a corporate finance role where you are working inside of a company doing financial stuff, you know, yeah, whether... You know I find it to be, I, I find that to be really cool too about my role. And you don't, it's so intimidating when you're starting to look for careers in finance. What can I do and where can I go and what's that going to look like and what's my day to day? Because I think like back I to just, the, just back to the psychology example, it's like you think about a career in finance, it's like you're either going to work at a bank or you're going to manage somebody's money. Yep. Uh, right? right. That's kind of like what you think you can do. You can, yeah, exactly. You can go into like the private wealth management or financial advisor type of role, or you can go work at Goldman Sachs and, right. and other banks and whatever. Right. And, and other banks. Yeah. Right. Um, but there's kind of like this lane or this niche of like working yep. for small companies. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's pretty cool. I just, I found myself, if I were to describe myself, I would say I'm sort of more of an unconventional finance student. That, yeah. And I say that in a way, not because I don't think they're great job opportunities, but just because I know myself and I know what I like. I never had interest in working for a big company, whether it's finance or not. I just, I'm sure there are a ton of benefits there. And I'm sure there's some downsides, just like there are for a small company, benefits and downsides. But I know myself well enough to know that I would thrive in a small company where my role might be a little bit more dynamic. I'm work my day to day is not going to be the same. I'm working on a lot of different projects and I think you're right. I think in to an extent my role is definitely sort of a corporate finance type role. Um, what's really cool about it as well on the other side of things is is you know, we work closely with different capital providers to, to tie up new land and do new yeah. acquisitions. And so I kind of get to look at, yeah, the operation side, the corporate finance side of things, but I also do quite a bit of work in like the acquisitions and disposition side of the business as well. And I would have had no idea there would have been a role like this when, even when I was applying, I didn't even know what I was applying for it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's just one of those things where you're a finance student and you think about everything through the lens of the experiences that you've had and you don't even know what really can be out there. So um, I'm all for, I'm, a, I'm an advocate of, the, of the, the small businesses. I know a lot of my friends have had really good experiences working for big companies as well. So I don't want to by any means say, don't, don't go do that because if it's for you, then then you know it might work out. So. Well, I think the important thing that you said um, in terms of people working at big companies or working at small companies or whatever, was you knew inside yourself what yeah. you wanted. And yep. you had, you had that, that reflect, you know, you had that self-reflection to know. Um, and then you pursued that. And which I think is the most important thing. I mean, I think so much, um, about having a successful career has to do with knowing yourself and following your passion. I mean, the guy that I interviewed yesterday, Jackson Perry, is one of the most passionate guys I know about customer success management. I mean, he, <laughs> he can talk about it. That's why it was a super long episode. I mean, we talked for over, well over an hour and, yeah. and I loved it because, you know, you can tell that the guy 
um, just has a really good idea of who he is and what he wants to do and what he's good at and what he's passionate about. And he's done a good job of, even though he's done a lot of different things in his career, he's been able to infuse uh, his passion in, in everything that he does. Um, and so I think that's, you know, and you, you did the same thing. You knew that you were passionate about small business and you took the skills and the knowledge that you learned in school and, and you're applying those uh, in the real world now and, and, and in a way that makes sense to you, uh, which I think is super important and awesome. And, um, and so now I kind of wanted to talk, maybe, maybe we can um, kind of rewind, uh, rewind the tape a little bit because I know, um, you know you have a, a take or you have um, you know, an opinion on internships, about getting internships, you know, you did this internship with Rick. I mean, that was an internship, right? Like, did you call it an internship, the university evaluation challenge thing? No, it wasn't an internship thing. There may have been some students that yeah. used it as their internship if they hadn't already had an internship. I had a different one, so I didn't need the credits. Yeah, I, I can't speak to that, though. I didn't, for me, it wasn't considered an internship, yeah. right? I didn't it was just that a curricular project. It yeah, a research associate kind of thing, but yeah. Right. And, and so what was your first internship um, when you were yeah. in school? What was your first internship? So I did an internship uh, with Alliance Residential Group, which was a property management company. Um, and I was a finance student looking for a finance internship. And, you know, going back to kind of the – the high level thinking about this podcast and the reach that it may have, um, the digital mentorship. I think what's so cool about the story that you told, you know, uh, about your last episode, the, the customer experience specialist and, and myself, I think what people can gain from hearing these different stories is everybody does have different preferences and everybody does have a, have, have a different lane, you know, um, based on their skill sets and, the, and their preferences. And I think, a lot of times, especially in finance, you might feel a little bit trapped by what your peers are doing. Well, did you apply for this internship yet? Or this bank's deadline for their internships is by this date. Did you get your application in or did you not? <laughs> and a lot of the big companies can work that way. And you might feel like, well, maybe I should have done that. But you don't have to, you know. Um, certainly do it if you want to. But it's just I think hearing other people's experiences is so beneficial and I hope that that's something that people can get out of this, this podcast. So that's why I'm super appreciative that you're doing it. I'm glad to be here. Uh, but yeah, going back to my experience, um, Alliance Residential Group, I was looking for a finance internship. I had some interest in real estate. So I took Fred Healy uh, he was an adjunct professor. I took his real estate course at Westminster, thought real estate was really cool. I thought it was sort of an unconventional way to get into the finance space as well. And I also found it interesting that there's a lot of private capital in real estate and not a lot of public capital, meaning all, all, most all real estate deals done are not from, yeah. you know, stuff that's publicly traded or anything right. like that. Right. And, and I found that to be something really cool. There's a lot of inefficiencies and imperfect markets that you can capitalize on, especially as things are constantly changing. Um, and there's sort of a creation component to real estate where you're building things from the ground up. There's sort of a creative aspect to it. Um, 
as well. But I, so I had a little bit of interest in real estate, but definitely wasn't, didn't know that's where I wanted to end up in my career. Took this internship with Alliance uh, Residential where I was effectively a property manager at a downtown Salt Lake apartment community that was brand new. So it was a lease up community basically. The summer I worked there, it went from like having zero tenants in any of the places to a hundred plus. And this is like a 200 uh, unit apartment building, downtown Salt Lake. I'm, I think it's fifth east and third south ish, mm-hmm. that area. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I was there, I just asked all the time, can I go to this due diligence walkthrough with these people? You know, the owners are here. Can I participate in this? And I tried to glean any amount of of uh, uh, expertise I could, but really, I mean, I was, I was leasing apartments dealing with, you know, construction related things. And that was it. And I thought it was not necessarily my first choice at the time, but it ultimately ended up being the perfect choice for me because when the opportunity with daybreak came about, you know, uh, six months later, um, they needed someone with real estate experience yeah. and I had just enough through that <laughs> to uh, check the box. So, so I was happy about it. And yeah. I know that you're getting the job at daybreak was kind of, um, you know, also unconventional in the sense that it was a full-time role and you were still in school. Yeah. So talk about, talk about maybe, you know, what that was like, how you guys came to an agreement and even like the work from home thing. Yeah. Yep. So, um, so I started with daybreak in October of 2017 and I graduated May, 2018. Um, at the time, Rick Pascal sent me the job posting that he had found out about somehow. Um, and the, the highlights were discounted cash flow experience and real estate experience, but entry level financial analyst. It did not say on the job posting part-time or internship or anything. It was just a job listing. And I had discounted cash flow experience from the research, the valuation projects I'd done with Rich or Rick. I had the real estate experience from Alliance I had just talked to you about. Good enough to at least throw my name in a hat. Um, And I'm sure um, at least I, I believe Rick, uh, might have reached out for me. I, I'm not 100 <laughs> sure on that one, um, but but I got myself an interview. They had me do a little bit of an analysis, um, you know, like a Excel spreadsheet type of thing. But yeah, it was a full time position they were looking to fill in October, and I wasn't going to be graduating for you know seven months. And I applied anyway, went in and interviewed, and I remember communicating that to the person face to face. I thought I communicated it through an email um, or through my application, but I got there and they were like, okay, so when would you be able to start? I was like, well, I can really only work part-time now. Um, I've got light class loads. I was kind of ahead in my, my last couple semesters. I only needed like, you know, I was taking the minimum amount of credits I needed to take because in my classes were a lot of, uh, electives and stuff at that point but you know they were looking for a full-time role I applied um, it was they, they felt like I was a good fit I felt like it was going to be a good opportunity for me to have a part-time you know good paying job while I'm in school and 
they kind of changed what they were looking for. They weren't finding a good full-time hire and they thought that I might be a good fit for the role. And so they offered me the job knowing that, um, you know, they could try me out until May and then maybe they would get a full-time employee and then I could try them out until May and it would kind of be a mutually beneficial thing. Um, and so that's what we ended up doing. So I worked, you know, uh, part-time throughout my whole senior year that ended up going on full-time in May and it, it was a really good deal. It ended up working out. I mean, I'm still working with the company, so I'm glad that it transpired that way, but I mean, not all companies will do that. Obviously, a small company might have more leverage to do something like that than a big one. But I mean, I encourage people to do that. You know, in January, if if you you know you're graduating in May or December, and there's a job you see, apply and say, "Hey guys, I can start now and work 25, 30 hours until I graduate, and then I can go." And they might just be like, "No, we need someone full time tomorrow," but they might not. Um, so you just don't close those doors for yourself just because it says full time and we need it now. I mean, there, my experience kind of speaks to, to that a little bit. Um, and then you were kind of able, so, I mean, I think, you know, you were able to negotiate a, a kind of a role for yourself, um, and kind of like, in kind of maybe I feel kind of like an unconventional sense. Um, and then you were also able to negotiate, um, working from home. So talk about, you yeah. know, why, how that came about and, and why you decided to do that. Yeah. So I was, Daybreak is based in South Jordan. I was still living in Salt Lake at the time when I graduated. Um, and I worked out there for, you know, about a year and then it would have been the summer, I believe of 2019. So about a year plus a little bit after graduation, I decided that I wanted to move back to Michigan. Um, I had just been, you know, living in Utah, going to school and working for five ish years. And I was, I was kind of missing being home. And uh, I thought that I wanted to maybe establish my career more in, in, in Michigan. And um, I guess I just wanted to get back, get back to home. Really. That, that's all it was. Um, so I kind of made that conscious decision. I, I came to my company and basically told them I was going to have to leave. I actually did formally submit my two weeks. And then my company's like, whoa, 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 pump the brakes. What's going on? Did you get another job? Where's this coming from? There were some other transitions going on in my company at the time. And I was like, no, I absolutely love working for you guys. This is literally a geographical constraint. I, I need and want to be home with my family right now and and just be back in Michigan. It's where I physically want to be. Um, I would love working for you guys. And I, you know, if I could work there and, and work for you guys, I would. <laughs> and they said, well, let's try it at least for a period of time. And I think it was initially presented to me, let's try this for three months where you can go home. You're not going to be moving across the country without a job. We're not going to be losing a valuable employee who gets a lot, you know, who has a lot of productivity for us. And so this is going to work. Again, mutually beneficial. We'll keep an employee. You'll keep your job. You can move home. We'll reassess in three months. Three months went by. We never talked about it. Six <laughs> months went by. We never talked about it. And then COVID. And yeah. so everyone's working remotely and everyone's still working remotely. Yeah. So I got a 
six, eight month head start on all of it for sure. I was working remotely before everybody else, but now we sort of live in a world where if you don't need to be there, I mean, obviously companies are continually adapting how they feel about office space and, and being physically present. And there's a lot of differing opinions about productivity, but I can tell you personally, um, I'm extremely productive working at home and it would be hard to have it any other way at this point for me. <laughs> so. I, um, I've, I've enjoyed being able to work from home. Do you have any, um, do you have any tips for working from home? Like what do you, what, uh, do you make lists? Do you, um, do you have like a, a separate office space? Do you, what, what, uh, what do you feel like in your experience has worked well for you? I've got a separate office space. Um, I think there's some little things um, that help a lot. Try to stick to a routine a little bit. So don't, you know, my my work schedule, uh, just the nature of the work that I do is um, it doesn't need to be done in super regimented hours, but I try to keep it that way as much as I can just because I think it just helps get up early, you know, kind of have a little bit of a routine. I think, Making sure you're still moving around sounds like something little, but when you're in the office, you know, you go grab lunch and you go, you know, walk to the printer or walk. I mean, I don't know. You go, you go talk to other people and do things and you move your computer for meetings and you walk to the conference room and you do all these different things, but you can end up just sitting in one place a lot when you're, when you're working from home. So I think moving around a lot is good. I stole this from one of my buddies, uh, Alex Mazeo, but I got a balance board in my office. Oh, cool. If I got a, if I'm on a conference call where I don't need to be sitting in front of a computer, I need to be listening and maybe talking, pop in the headphones and stand on the, on the balance board and yeah. <laughs> take the call there. But I found it to be, to be quite easy, honestly, to be really productive. I've always been a list person and I know some people, you know, they need a little bit of oversight to, to be productive or they need the nudge, you know, from their manager. And I've, I've sort of been always the opposite of that. I'm kind of a self-starter. And so the work from home environment works well. So. I, I also um, try, I'm trying to be better about when I'm in a meeting or a phone call or something. Um, and I know I don't, and I need to kind of, like you said, like, I need to just listen and maybe talk, but not necessarily take notes or whatever. Uh, if I'm sitting at my computer, I'm still messaging people or responding to emails. I am totally disengaged yep. from whatever conversation is happening. Cause I'm so, cause I'm distracted cause I'm sitting at my computer. So I've been trying to kind of similar, I, I'm, we have a stationary bike. Like I have, we have like a home gym. Nice. I might go ride the bike. Like I might go. Yeah go do an easy pedal on the bike while I'm listening or yeah. like, that, like that, just cause, just cause it's easier for me to have like, if the, of course, nothing in front of me, it's easier. Of to course, listen. only those meetings, you don't need the, the webcam on though. Right. Right. Be on the balance board. Just right. The, the, the last one I was on, they were like, Scott, your camera's off. Like why? And I just lied. I lied. I said it wasn't working. I didn't want to tell them I was going for a walk around the block. Um, although I'm sure if I, I'm sure if I explained to them what I just said, like I'm going for a walk around the block so I can actually pay attention because if I sit at my computer, I'm not going to be listening to what you guys are saying. Um, yep. but maybe they'll listen to this podcast and now they'll understand. Um, so I told you at the beginning of this, that I wanted to try something new Yeah. and this will kind of like be a segue to the end of the show. 
but uh, we're going to play um, overrated and underrated with Weston Lackey. You ready? Just kind yeah. of, you know, you can, you can comment on it, but this is going to supposed to kind of go fast. So uh, college education. Underrated. Real estate. Underrated. Spartan football. Underrated. Wolverine football. Overrated. Mock interviews. Underrated. New York style pizza. Overrated. <laughs> Apples. Like the fruit. Underrated. Underrated. Uh, oh. Bitcoin. Underrated. <laughs> Podcasts. Properly rated. Properly rated. <laughs> <laughs> Right on. Well, that was uh, that was all I got. So that was that was uh, overrated, underrated with Weston Lackey. Very I like good. that. That was I like fun. That. So, do I get a chance to opine on any of those? Yeah, sure. You could. Yeah, you can comment. I've on got. That. I've got two on one. What is it? And the the New York style pizza thing. I I don't, and I never will understand it. It's good, but <laughs> maybe I haven't had the best. I haven't been to New York, so I probably haven't had the best, but. I mean, yeah, I, I don't get it. I, and as, especially because I, I I like all different kinds of pizza, but I love Chicago-style pizza. Oh, if you yeah. tell somebody, like the deep dish Chicago-style pizza, if you tell a New Yorker that that's good pizza, that that's not pizza. That's not pizza. Okay. I mean, that's um, – I'll tell you, I have, I have a joke about different kinds of pizza. I'll tell you after the podcast. So pivoting, I guess, a little bit to – you know, kind of the end of the show, um, you know, this is usually where I ask for, um, you know, kind of like what advice do you think you would give yourself? Um, you know, if you were looking back or somebody who's trying to, to think about starting a career, um, what advice do you, would you have for that person? You know, it's kind of open-ended, um, but I think just keep doing kind of all of the right things and, you know, start building momentum for yourself. Create good relationships with your professors, create good relationships with, with students you work with. And it sounds so cliche, but you just never know when one of those people will be the person that helps you get a job or you might help them get a job. And I think making good impressions and being really, really intentional with your time when you're, when you're a student is super important. And I also just not, not shying away from opportunities either. Um, you know, don't say I'm not going to apply for this job because I don't think it's it's exactly what I'm looking for. Apply for it. If you get an interview, take the interview as practice. Just kind of, you know, not everything has to have a direct, here, here, here was my effort and here's what I got out of it. But I just think building that momentum of doing the right things as much as possible, it always does come back around. Um, in my opinion. And I know that's not super direct advice to give somebody. Uh, it's kind of open-ended, but I, I, I do believe that just kind of optimize your time while you're in school and take advantage of the extracurricular stuff, build the relationships with professors and other students and, and be really intentional with your time, at least as much as you can be. And, and also don't be afraid to, to reach out to people. You know, don't be afraid to ask the questions and use your network. I mean, there's probably, you probably have a stronger network than you think. Like I, I, um, I made connections with my, my parents 
friends and things who are who are, who have professional careers that have been very successful and you know you just go to dinner with them have a call I mean just connect with people and I think that's one thing I think this podcast will do is when you can open your mind to different perspectives and different paths you never really know where you're going to kind of land and I think the more more doors you open for yourself is a good thing so I um I don't know if you've heard this saying, but I feel like it's, it's, I've heard it from real estate people. So I don't know if it's, it's something that's only said in real estate circles or what, uh, but your network is your net worth um, yeah. is something that I hear that I've heard a lot of like real estate people say, uh, but I think it's super applicable to every kind of career. Um, and I think yeah. your advice about taking the time and building those relationships and, and really connecting with people um, is really important. And, um, well, Weston, I think, uh, I think we've covered just about everything. I think we've covered just about everything. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I've really enjoyed this conversation and, um, you know, I'll make sure to give you the show notes, um, you know, when it, when it gets ready, when it comes out. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much for coming. Yeah. Thanks. And thanks for having me on. And I hope I uh, wish the best for you for the show. I think you're doing a lot of good stuff, so I appreciate it. Right Thanks, Weston. We'll, we'll talk to you next time. Yep. Big thank you to Weston Lackey for coming on the show. I really enjoyed our conversation about his experience at Westminster College and how he decided on a field of study. Weston is the second person I've interviewed who participated in the University Evaluation Group, which ties into his advice about the importance of participating in extracurriculars. Weston and I play a game of overrated and underrated, and he provides good insight into people getting ready to graduate from college. If you are interested in corporate finance or pursuing a career as a financial analyst for a small company, feel free to reach out to Weston on LinkedIn. He will be happy to help you. Thank you all so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. It was the spring time of winter.